Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric aka Sulior, and this one is the Khajiiti Merchant. Sulior, where in Alkosh's mighty name have you been? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I have had to take a little bit of a break because uh, by the time I went to record this episode, uh, I have been dealing with a pretty, um, like a mild cold, but it's enough to where it's messed up my voice. You might still be able to hear the fact that it's even right now a little bit off, but there for a while... I, if I talk for more than a couple minutes long at a time, my voices start getting really, really hoarse, and like I said, it's not bad, um, I've had to blow my nose here and there, and cough, and, but it's not terrible, um, like, it was manageable, like, I didn't miss any work because of it, but, yeah, my voice was, has been really messed up, so I apologize for the delay on this episode and there is a lot to get to so a lot of news has been happening so first off um i don't know if i mentioned this on the last episode or not but there was a blackwood event going on so with this blackwood event there you go to if you have the blackwood expansion chapter what have you you go and do the normal like tasks in the Blackwood Zone, whether it's you know taking on world bosses or you know seeing these what they call striking locations or just go around grabbing stuff like crafting materials, things like that, and you can get Blackwood coffers, which gets you style events and everything. Well. If you complete enough of these tasks, then everybody gets these rewards. There were tiered rewards, and the last reward that was available to get is getting the Blackwood uh, DLC, the uh, Deadlands DLC, for free. And thank you to everybody who participated in this event because we did get that. We are going to be getting, like, if you have until, I think, today. I could be wrong, but um, you have the option to unlock this in the Crown Store right now. So thank you to everybody who participated. Now, if you've got the you know, subscription service, ESO Plus, then you don't really care because you already get it. But if you're like me and Lotus of Doom, then, then you know, you don't really want to spend the 20 bucks to pay for it. So thank you to everybody who participated because, yeah, now I can play Blackwood's DLC Deadlands for free. So, yeah, thank you. Also going on right now is a free trial for ESL Plus. So speaking of the subscription service, you can play with it for free until I think it's the 25th of October. So yeah, I've been taking advantage of that. I'll talk more about that when we get to my gameplay, but just the crafting bag, the infinite space crafting bag alone is worth the subscription price the 15 bucks a month but uh yeah that those subscription services add up so 
yeah, enjoy the free trial right now until the 25th. There is another article here saying that Spanish localization is coming to Elder Scrolls Online, and it is going to happen in 2022. So, honestly, I'm really surprised that it hasn't, it wasn't there at the beginning because Spanish is one of the most common languages out there, especially in the United States, but well, and also Europe, you know, Spain, but. I'm really surprised that it wasn't already there. So uh, thanks for congrats, you know, congrats on uh, finally adding that. I guess coming next year. But you know, Spanish is so common that I mean, most schools, at least in my area, teach it. Like <laughs> when I was working in retail, I mean, most of the crew is Spanish. So I myself know quite a bit. I'm surprised surprised to hear that it wasn't already a thing with ESO, but yeah, I guess it's coming 2022. If you want to get a head start on the Deadlands DLC, there is a prologue quest available right now for free in the Crown Store. I've already played it. Um, honestly, I don't remember much about it, because um, it's it's been a bit since I played it. I played it probably right after I out the last episode, but uh, yeah, I'll probably talk about that here in a little bit. I also came across an article saying that Arcane Lion Studio Director um, is leaving after 16 years of leadership. So uh, this is Romuald Caprone, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, he's leaving after nearly 17 years, so the, yeah, so after 16, almost 17, so um, yeah, quite a while. <clears throat> and less than a month after Deathloop got launched. So, um, best of luck. I wish you the best in your future endeavors. So, thank you for Deathloop and for all the other games that you were a part of, whether it's Arx Fatalis, um, the Dishonored series, I think that was Arcane, uh, Prey, I think is another uh, Arcane title. Thank you for all of those, and uh, best of luck in what's next for you. So, I've mentioned Avowed on the show before. That's Obsidian's Skyrim-style RPG that takes place in the Pillars of Eternity world. So, there's just a little article here that says it will feature two-handed combat and multiple class play styles. So, um... Yeah, just a little bit on that. I'm not going to get super in-depth on this, but I am going to... Um, I'm definitely going to check this game out just to see what they do. I do enjoy um, their, their Fallout-style game, The Outer Worlds. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what this offers. I don't really see when it's going to launch. I don't know if there's really any word on that. But it'll be cool to see um, what other people do with their elders with an Elder Scrolls style game. I know there's Kingdoms of Amalur out there, which that's fun. If you haven't checked out Kingdoms of Amalur Re Reckoning, um, which is the remaster of it, definitely check it out. So yeah, we'll we'll see how this does. 
All right, so I did come across this article on uh, Game Rant about the hardest quest in Skyrim. So I just thought I'd uh, share this with you guys here. So first off is the Break of Dawn. That's Meridia's Daedric quest. Um, you know, a new hand has touched the beacon. Um, that quest. I don't really think this one's that hard. Really, you just take the beacon, go kill some vampires, and then you get Dawnbreaker. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, the next one they mention is Elder Knowledge. That's the one um, where you've got to go to the Dwarven Cube and face all the Falmer and Automatrons. And um, basically, yeah, you recover an Elder Scroll. Um, I don't know. That one. That one's okay. Um, but yeah, the final puzzle is you got to go to that um that uh Ogmum, the um not Ogmum, the um the the thing where you move the mirrors around to catch the sunlight and it's that type of puzzle that that yeah i can see that part being um challenging if you don't know what you're doing with that then yeah i can see why that can be tough Okay, so the next quest they mentioned is the Wolf Queen Awakened. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, this one can be a little challenging, I guess. It's where you take on Potema. Um, well, well, all the priests are trying to resurrect Potema. So, yeah, I, I guess I can see that one. Um, basically, yeah, you gotta fight, fight Draugr and vampires and eventually take on Potema herself. Yeah, I can see that one a little bit. Um, the next one they mention is No Stone Unturned. This one I do agree with. It's the one where you've got to um, you got to collect all those strange gems, the stones of Berenzaia, and there's 24. And there's no quest markers with them. That I guess is what makes it. I've I've gotten mods to show you where they are, but without a guide, yeah. And you don't if you don't know where to look, then and to be completely honest, I'm not the type of completionist who will go around looking for all these stones. So I myself have never completed this quest. So yeah, I, I, I will agree with this one. Okay, the next quest they mention is the Ebony Warrior. And basically it's like fighting yourself. So that I can see being... Uh, trouble. It's kind of like fighting Dark Link in Ocarina of Time or um, Zelda 2. So you got you got to hit level 80 first, which I guess that in itself is a challenge. So yeah, I can see that being an issue. Um, the next one they mentioned is summoning Karstog. So I don't know if I've ever played this quest. So Karstog is a summonable ghost of a frost giant, and it says here he's large, imposing, and has plenty of power to take down players regardless of their level, so, okay. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever faced him before, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the end of that article there, so...
The only other thing I'm seeing in the news is that the Witches Festival is coming back to ESO. And let's see, it actually starts on, uh, well, today, uh, November, or sorry, October 21st at 10 a.m. So it's going on right now. It just started about a half hour ago uh, while I'm recording this, and it runs through November 2nd at 10 a.m. So basically, you go to the holiday section of the Crown Store and acquire a free quest. And uh, if you've completed the quest of previous events, you don't need to acquire the Witch Mother's Whistle. So, I don't know if I've ever really... I know I've I've gotten this quest before, but I don't know if I've ever done it. So, basically, you receive a 2-hour XP buff, and you can summon the Witch's Cauldron once you complete this quest. So, um, yeah, I don't think I've done this before. I know I... I, I think I've gotten part of it um, when I first started playing, but I know I haven't gotten it with this current playthrough, so yeah, definitely have fun with that. I uh, will probably be playing some of that today and until the second, so speaking of my gameplay though, I have played a lot of ESO lately, it, so... I actually, if you follow the show on social media, P on Twitter and Instagram, particularly Instagram, though, because it allows more photos, I posted photos of uh, my gameplay, a little bit of my gameplay, not all of it, but I have beaten the main quest for the second time now. So it was a lot of fun. Um, I mentioned on the show, the episode that I did with Lotus of Doom, that I was about to do the quest where you have to unite the three um, uh, leaders of the three banners war. You know, there's Yorin's Gold King and um, Queen Iren and... Uh, God, I always blank on the Daggerfall Covenant leader's name. And if those of you who are Daggerfall Covenant, I apologize. Um, I am not, obviously... I just know he's played by the guy who who plays <clears throat> this ancient vampire in Underworld. Um, God damn, that is going to bother me. Give me one second. Emmerich. Emmerich. High King Emmerich. Uh, and he's played by Bill Nye. Not the science guy. Uh, N-I-G-H-Y. I, I, I probably mispronounced it. But uh, yeah, not the science guy, but the other guy. Um, there's so many high-profile people in this game, whether it's Troy Baker, who's a really prominent voice actor, Kate Beckinsale, who plays Queen Iran, uh, Malcolm McDowell, uh, yes, the uh, guy who plays um, John Henry Eden in Fallout 3, uh, another prominent actor, he plays Molek Ball, Alfred Molina plays Abner Thorne, uh, Wenda Carter plays Azura, just like always. Uh, love him. Love her. Um, Tara Strong, um, Steve Bloom, E.G. Daly. I didn't know she was in this game. Um, anyway, uh, John Cleese plays Cadwell. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson plays Sai Sahan. So many prominent actors and voice actors, which voice actors are actors, I should, you know, yes. Um... But yeah, I completed the main quest for the second time. Um, I posted pictures of it on social media. And uh, so yeah, um, once you complete the main quest, you 
are back in the Harbinger and or Harbridge. Or, I can't remember. Yeah, Harbridge. I think it's Harbinger. Uh, the secret area where you meet with the uh, prophet who ends up being. Well, I'm not going to spoil that if you haven't gotten far enough in the quest line. Anyway, um, it's probably no secret you do have to take on Molag Ball himself. That's why I posted pictures of that. And you get to interact with the last uh, alien, and you find out why he's the last. Um, basically, he's not a fan of his people, and he joined the fight against them. He joined with the quote-unquote younger races and stood against his own people. Um, Height King Dinar. Um, Lalorian, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, Lalorian Dinar, I've mentioned him on the show before. Um, yeah, that's the last alien and yeah um so once you finish the main quest you end up back in the harbinger and you're talking to cadwell and he kind of gives you a what if scenario so this is a it's a little bit different these days but when eso first came out you started in cold harbor and you that was kind of the tutorial <clears throat> was uh you start out in in uh, Cold Harbor, you're dead. You get sacrificed to Molag Ball. And <clears throat> then you escape Cold Harbor. And when you escape Cold Harbor, basically, based on your race, it determines where your next starting area is. And yes, it is kind of a starting area. So if you're an Aldmeri Dominion character, you start on Ardun. If you're a... Uh, Daggerfall Covenant character, you start out on Stros Mackay, and I can't remember... It, it. You start out on this island um, off of um, Morrowind. I can't remember which one it is, but it's another island off of Morrowind if you're an Ebonheart Pact character. So, this character... It's not like that. Like I said, it's not like that anymore. So... These days, with all these chapter expansions and everything, each time there's a new chapter, there's a new tutorial. And you don't start out in Cold Harbor anymore. So, I, th I actually kind of like this better. So, nowadays, you actually get, like, the one of the earlier main quests is you actually set up, or you get this meeting with somebody who ends up being a priest of Moad Ball, and you actually watch yourself get sacrificed, which I think makes the whole vestige uh, thing that much more powerful, because you actually watch yourself get sacrificed and die and end up in Cold Harbor, so the whole part of the main quest plot is you're trying to reclaim your lost soul, so when you escape Cold Harbor, you don't technically escape with your soul, so that's why you're constantly referred to as the Vestige. So, yeah, I kind of like that better, because it, like I said, it makes the whole Vestige um, gimmick more powerful. So, yeah, now I've I've completed the main quest, and they call it, the, the next quest is called uh, Cadwell's Silver. So the whole what if scenario is what if you didn't land where you did and you actually had joined one of the other um, factions of the Three Banners War. So I was Ebonheart Pact, so Cadwell's kind of sends me on a journey to complete the 
Daggerfall Covenant quests, and then after, once you do all that, then you get Cadwell's Gold, which you go through the remaining factions quests. So that would be the Aldmeri Dominion for me. So yeah, um, done a lot, and that is not all. I have been taking advantage of the free trial for the uh, the uh, ESO Plus subscription. So. Yeah, like I said, that's going on until the 25th, and I played through the Dragon Guard DLC, which is part of the Elsewhere uh, chapter, so the year-long Elsewhere event. So that is the final chapter in the Elsewhere story, so where you finally take on Calgrantid, along with a couple of other dragons. So yeah, you're fighting alongside Saisahan, where he is... Um, re, uh, restarting the Dragon Guard. It's a group of people who are uh, whose goal in life is to protect the land against dragons. So yeah, Calgrantid is like set to try. He, the whole thing is he's trying to make himself powerful enough to where he can take on Akatosh. So you're trying to stop that, and you have to fight a couple other dragons along the way. So yeah, it was it was pretty fun. It was fucking hard. Um, Calgrantid is not someone to take lightly. He was really hard. He kicked my ass a few times, but I finally beat him. And now I am working on the Thieves Guild, which is something I haven't really done much of. I did play a little bit of the Thieves Guild when I played on PC. But, um, yeah, all the other ones I've completed. I've completed Markarth um, with a different character. I've completed Orsinium with another character. I completed Clockwork City with another character. So whenever I get these trials, I try to take advantage of it and do something I haven't done before, regardless of whether or not it was with another character. And, uh, yeah, my character now, I think, is about... Uh, combat power 300 CP 300 so yeah I uh, played a lot so I've played some other things too um, cause <laughs> I've had a lot of time to play since I haven't been feeling well um, we, I mentioned this on tapes from the waste uh, which there's a new episode of that out right now but I um, around Halloween I try to play something that's a little spooky um, not flat out horror something like evil within no i i played about a half hour 45 minutes of evil within i'm like okay yeah i'm done um i don't know maybe i'll go back to that later but last year i played through the ghostbusters game um which if you haven't played that definitely check that out it's a lot of fun uh love the ghostbusters who are you gonna call um this year i played through arkham knight so i i had it on pc and apparently I was right there at the very end of the game. But I never completed it. It was another game in a long list of games where I played through very, very far and never actually finish. I don't know if I just get burnt out or what. But um, yeah, I actually played through Arkham Knight on Xbox. So I've come, I got through most of the story DLC also. Um, I need to, excuse me, I need to complete the Catwoman one and I need to complete the... Um, uh, Harley Quinn one. So, yeah, um, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, there's still plenty to do in the main game. 
Um, like, I think there's an e expansion to the main game where you have to take on Mad Hatter or Killer Croc and someone else. I want to say Two-Face. But, yeah, um, I love the Arkham games, and now I have actually completed the main story of all of them. All four of them. So, yeah, um, there's that. I did just pick up the leg legendary edition of Mass Effect. So it's 45% uh, off um, on the Xbox store right now. I don't know about PC or uh, PlayStation. But yeah, it's 45% off on the Xbox store. And then I just picked up the Ezio trilogy because there's a, an Assassin's Creed sale going on on the Xbox also. So yeah, um, been playing a lot. So I've been playing a lot, and there's always Fallout 76. I'm not really going to get into that. If you want to check that out, definitely check out Tapes from the Wastes. Um, like I said, we just put an episode out. So anyway, I'm going to take a short break. Um, you won't hear an Anchor ad because, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to switch over to the main segment. So here we go. guys so yeah like i mentioned there is no more anchor ad um and if you're listening to any of my episodes after september 20 whatever um the last episode i put out um you're probably wondering why i mentioned an anchor ad where i shill for anchor well long story short they are no longer sponsoring this show um i'm not sure why um, I asked them about it, and basically they said all sponsorships have an end date, um, which I think is kind of a bullshit answer, but whatever. Because, um, I mean, there are plenty of other shows that have been going on for as long as I have that still have an anchor ad in them. But, you know, what can you do? Um, I'm not going to bitch and moan about it. It is what it is. Um, I just don't know why they would have stopped sponsoring me, but hey, you know, whatever. I mean, I do have my theories, but nothing concrete. Anyway, that is not why we're here. We are here to learn about Malakath. So, uh, Malakath uh, is mainly associated with the orcs, but um, he is the Daedra Lord of Curses, and the Prince of the Bloody Oath, the Lord of Ash and Bone, Lord of Monsters, the Oathbreaker, Creator of Curses, He Who Speaks Sideways, the Furious One, the Keeper of the Bloody Curse, and the Defender of the Betrayed. He's also known as Mulok or um, Malok to the Orcs. Orke in the Nordic tradition, Orca to the Khajiits. Maluk to the Red Guards, Malak to the Dunmer, Muluk to the Blue God, Muluk the Blue God of the Goblins, and is the Daedra Lord, sorry, the Daedric Prince whose sphere is the patronage of the spurned, the ostracized, and the keeper of the sworn oath and the bloody curse. So yeah, that is a lot to take in right there. So as always, well, most of the time with these articles from the UESP, there is a quote here, and um, this is from Prayer to the Furious One. So it says, God of curses, hear my prayer. Lord of the betrayed, give me strength. Keeper of the grudge, harden my heart. 
holder of the broken promises ignite my anguish master of the sworn oath grant me the ferocity to overcome my enemies malakath hear my prayer malakath hear my prayer so yeah um i do remember the quest for uh, in oblivion i i think i've only uh, played through it once but i definitely remember it um and we'll talk about that in a little bit <clears throat> So, Malakath was created when Boethia ate the Aldmeri, uh, sorry, Altmeri, not Aldmeri, that's two different things, um, ancestral spirit Trinimac. Although Malakath himself says that this tale is far too literal minded. Additionally, Trinimac's most devout elven followers were transformed into the Orsimar, the orcs, um, also known as the Pariah folk in Aldmeris. However, some orcs cling to the belief that Trinimac still exists and Malakath is a separate entity. Goblin kind worships the blue god whom they venerate with the sacred idols of Malakath painted blue. I should do an episode on goblins here at some point, so because that would that would be interesting. Goblins are in most of the Elder Scrolls games, um, not Skyrim, but. Um, Although I guess there is a Creation Club um, download, so maybe once the uh, Anniversary Edition's out, Goblins will be a part of Skyrim. So, um, anyway, Malakath is considered the first of the four corners of the House of Troubles in Morrowind, though other sources say he is an ally of Mafala and an enemy of Ebonarm. His summoning day is the eighth day of Frostfall, and troll fat is, is a consistent element in the rituals intended to summon Malkath. Man, I don't know why that was so hard to get out. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about his mythology. So, um, according to legend, Malkath was once Trinimac, the most powerful of the Adra and the Altmeri ancestor spirits. During the Merithic era, Boethia began appearing in visions to the prophet Veloth. Um, I've, I've mentioned Veloth on the show before. It might have even been during the Orc episode, but um, you can actually encounter Veloth's ghost in Elder Scrolls Online, uh, which is really cool. Uh, the first time I encountered him, I didn't know who he was, and then I encountered him recently. I can't remember exactly where, um, it was part of a quest line, and I want to say it has to do with the Ebonheart Pact, uh, but I could be wrong. But it was really cool to see Veloth in ESO. Um, but he was instructed to create a new sect who would eventually become a Chimer. Okay, so it was probably in my um, two part Dunmer episode, the Chimer part. Um, so. This was blasphemous to the priests of Trinimac who threatened to exile the dissidents. It's unclear exactly what happened after that, but in one orc tailing, tailing, yeah, uh, one orc tailing, uh, one orc telling, Trinimac confronted Boethia for creating the dissident movement and challenged her to a battle. During the fight, Trinimac was about to strike down Boethia when Mafala appeared, and the web spinner stabbed Trinimac in the back. As Trinimac kneeled helpless, Boethia invoked the ritual to scar and twist Trinimac's appearance, and then banished the Aedra to a place of ash, which I guess is Marwind. 
<clears throat> In a rage, Trinimac cut open his chest and tore shame from his spirit and was reborn as Mulak, which is Malkath. Um, so that's a different telling of that tale. But it does talk about the um, the story of Boethia eating Trinimac and then shitting him out as Malakath. And yes, you heard that right. He actually, uh, it says here, Trinimac um, burped, farted, and spoke foolishly. Um, what? Where is this passage from? Um, aside from the UESP wiki. Um, but, but yeah, uh, the the main, the more popular telling is that Boethia actually ate Trinimac and, uh, but she, yeah, she sw- uh, swallowed him whole and then squeezed out a great pile of dun. That's a quote from this. And that became Malkath. Um, what's true? Um, who knows? That is kind of the same thing as uh, what exactly happened to the Dwemer. There's so many theories out there, but what actually happened, um, not I don't think anybody really knows, except for the people involved. And they're not saying exactly. Um, so let's see here. It says, Many accounts paint Malakath as a prince who is very protective of his followers and who become vindictive when wronged. Among the tales of the mad god Sheagorath found in the 16 Accords of Madness, there's a story about Malakath and his demented prince son, Emig Grokaira. Sometimes, um, sometime before the founding of Orsinium, which we've talked about Orsinium in other episodes, uh, Sheogorath in disguise had given Emig a renowned orcish young, uh, sorry, renowned orcish warrior, the Neb Krisikin, when drawn, the sword set off a bloodlust within Emic, and he murdered a young orc girl in his frenzied haze and ran away. Sheogorath then summoned Malakath to where the slaughtered orc girl was and investigated, or sorry, instigated his vengeance. Those are two different words there. Sheogorath persuaded Malakath to avenge the orc girl's death using the weapon of Sheogorath's choice, wonder what that was, and banished the murderer to his plane of the Shivering Isles. Malakat, I wonder if he can, I wonder if he can come across her in Shivering Isles. I'd have to, what, it doesn't say here what the girl's name is, but, um, oh, actually it would be Emigrokaira. I wonder if he can find him in Shivering Isles. Now I'm curious, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to check that out here. Okay, so, no, um, you won't find him in Shivering Isles, so... Um, Malkath basically he found him in the Shivering Isles and, and uh, decapitated him and then seeing what he'd done um, he damned his biological son to the realm of the Mad God so um, to further exacerbate the pain Shagorath came to the scene to claim the still sentient head of Emek and the Ned Crescent Malkath stayed behind and mourned as he heard the pleas of his son being carried off into the distance. Um, maybe, so, maybe his head is still there? I don't know. But, um, I've never heard this story before. Now I'm curious if, if you actually go to Shivering Isles 
if you can find his head or if you can find a gravestone. So that that is interesting. But um, yeah, that that sucks too. Damn you, Sheikorat. So as we know, um, the orcs are greatly associated with Malkath. Um, basically, his the orc. Uh, the people of Orsimer believe that many gods exist and that they only venerate Malakath, who they call Mulag, the orc father, the great chief, and the first orc. So uh, Mulag is seen by some as an Aedra, like ten, like Trinimac, whereas Malakath is a Daedra. I, I mean, their two names are the same being. I don't know what the distinction would be. <clears throat> Some consider the Adric Mulak to be a different being altogether, and others believe that Mulak and Malkath are one and the same. Yeah, I'm of that mind. A pariah god who has been rejected by both the Adra and the Daedra works that live in the strongholds and choose to live by the code of Malkath, which we'll get into here in a minute. They set an unwritten set of rules, which I guess... Um, means it is kind of set basically they're like unspoken laws which instructs them on how to deal with matters like honor and vengeance but also covers daily life so as you know if you've played skyrim you know that orcs typically live separate most orcs live separate from society because they're kind of treated like outcasts um i i that is one aspect of skyrim that i really liked is you got to see the culture of the different races more like yeah in in oblivion they do kind of um mention the fact that um khajiit are kind of treated like petty thieves a little bit not like in skyrim where you'll you're walking around if you have a khajiit character you know you're you're walking around and you'll hear hands to yourself sneak thief or stand in my pockets things like that um Orcs typically live in strongholds set apart from society. And um, I thought that was really nice. So these strongholds have a code of conduct and they have a way to deal with people who break that code. So um, orcs, some orcs do continue to venerate uh, Trinimac, I guess. Um, most, though, follow the code of Malakath. So the code here here's uh there's apparently a code uh carving of Malkath in Old Orsinium, which is kinda cool. There's a picture of it here in this article. But the Code of Malakath contains many simple uh precepts, mostly are tacit. Um inc- they include uh prohibitions of theft, murder, assault, though some ample exceptions are made to these rules. Most more explicitly the code encourages respect for the forging and blacksmithing, requiring uh, vengeance for insult and honor, and recognizing that death in combat is pleasing to Mulag. Orcs believe if something is not worth fighting for, it is beneath the code. The code sets rules for how to select a stronghold chief through challenge and combat, and the traditional roles of the chief and his wives. Yes, plural. Uh, the chief is normally the strongest male. So that, that's kind of what happens is if you are wanting to be the chief, 
you have to defeat the previous chief in combat. And um, disputes are settled through short, violent fights. The, the, orc dis, who, the orcs who displease the chief are normally banished from the stronghold and forced to live amongst other races. So those are normally the ones you see with the rest of society. Orc strongholds have no jails. If someone commits a crime, the penalty is the blood price to be paid to the victim or the surviving relatives. This involves payment in goods as restitution or bleeding, quote-unquote, enough to satisfy the victim that punishment has been met. So um, I got the, the code right here. So there's a quote here that says, uh, no one best in orc. And uh, it says, I don't need you to guess how many times I've heard that boast. So this is actually the book, The Code of Malakath, A Sellsword's Guide to Orc Strongholds. So this isn't the code itself. So it says, I don't, uh, you know, no one bests an orc. That's something you hear all the time in Skyrim. I don't need to, you to guess how many times I've heard that boast in some dingy tavern or screamed at the top of the lungs by some fellow sellsword who with too much fire in them but i'd be lying if i said the orc strongholds don't take those words as law there are a few places where as ms elia will would tell you that tradition and old ways make for a better fighter but with orcs it seems like staying true to your ancestors is the path of victory let me take a few steps back the orc strongholds have existed as long as the orc race has according to them they're armored in camps Sorry, sorry. They're armored camps in the least, and fortresses at the most. Every man, woman, and child inside the walls is trained from birth to defend it. All their weapons and armor are smithed right there in the stronghold. All the food is hunted down by orc warriors and brought back to be eaten by everyone who lives there. They follow no laws save their own, an unwritten set of rules called the Code of Malakath, named after one of their gods who is sometimes called Malok. Uh, so many different you know, ways to say Malakath, Malak. Most of it's pretty simple. Don't steal, don't kill, don't attack people for no reason, although there's, there seems to be a big list of exceptions. But orcs in the strongholds don't have jails for their criminals. They do have a blood price. You pay either enough goods or bleed enough till the victim is satisfied. And orcs, I don't need to tell you, have a lot of blood. The code also sets up who runs the stronghold. The toughest male is usually the chief that makes the decisions uh, and decides when the code of Malakath has been satisfied. All of the women are either chiefs, wives, or as daughters, with the exception of the wise woman who handles all the spiritual needs and healings. Matters of grave dispute are handled in short but violent fights and those who don't get along with the chief are usually forced out. So basically this is all I just said orc strongholds don't like strangers used to they're used to living on their own like they do ms alia um knows what she does because so many orcs leave their strongholds to become sellswords or soldiers so um this must be quote-unquote written by miss alia and she's referring to herself in the third person so orc leaves the strong holds to become sellswords or soldiers and a few pints of mead gets them talking about their home. I hear that sometimes an orc will make a non-orc a bloodkin, which uh, you see that in Skyrim. Um, 
Or the Imperial Law allows you to settle fights through the Emperor's Men, but the Code of Malakath demands you to settle problems yourself. A fine way of thinking if you're leading the mercenary's life. So, um, there is a section of orcs known as wood orcs, um, which I don't remember if I covered that in the orc episode or not. I don't think I did. But these orcs, and there's a picture of one in the UESP article, they're orcs, but they don't live in Orsinium. They live in Valenwood, and they're used to the life in Valenwood compared to Orsinium. So they do kind of, they do worship Malakath, um, or in this case, Mulag. And, but they're used to being able to, you know, climb through trees and they're, they use more ranged weapons as opposed to like axes and, um, you know, war hammers, things like that. So, um, they do have you know, great agility, mobility, and they're expert tree climbers and trackers like wood elves. Unlike their uh, wood elf neighbors, though, they don't follow the green pack, though, like they do. And they're free to exploit the environment, much to the dismay of the Bosmer. But uh, this does bring a lot of business opportunities for these races, uh, like wood elves, sorry, wood orcs, main source of trade was mining coal and kindle pitch. And selling it to the Bosmer who can't exploit the landscape in the same way. So basically they kinda they kinda live as wood elves, but they don't follow the green pact and they basically help wood elves with things that they're not able to do. So um yeah, I just came across um I just learned about Lord Oryx recently and I thought I'd mention that on the show here but let's talk about other races in relation to Malakath so um, let's talk about the Dunmer first so Malakath is occasionally called Malak the god king of the orcs with the advent of the tribunal around first era 700 four Daedric princes um, Malakath, Molagbal, Marins Dagon and Cheagorath refused to swear loyalty to their worshippers and they were banished. These rebel data became the four corners of the House of Troubles and Malakath is said to test the Dunmer for physical weaknesses. So there is a statue of Malakath located in the hills hills of Sheograd, Sheogorad, not Sheogorad, um, directly west of Dagonfell and uh, Luzlift. I think it's how you pronounce that. MZ, that's kind of weird spelling there. Uh, sounds uh, Dwemerish. Since Malakath is the first corner of the House of Troubles, the shrine is the first stop in the pilgrimage of the Four Corners. Uh, diviners of the Tribunal Temple would donate four Daedra cards and recite Vex poem, The Four Corners of the House of Troubles. That is part of a quest in Morrowind. Um, I can't remember what quest it is, but there is a quest in Morrowind where you go on a pilgrimage and you uh, visit all these Daedric shrines. Sometimes there's a Dramora there and you can challenge them to a fight and that would be how you would get the Daedric hearts that um, these tributes require. So um, yeah, that that's interesting there. So Malakath is one of the stops you make along the way. 
So let's talk about the Nords in aspect in regards to Malkast. So the traditional Nord belief contains two deities that are seen as being connected to Malkath. The first is Malak, who is connected who I'm sorry, who is known by the Nords as the god of the orcs and the Mount <laughs> Mountain Fart, quote unquote. Um Malkath is known as the Mountain Fart, okay. He is clearly identified with Malakath um, and is and tests the Nords through warfare. The other is Orke, also called the Old Knocker, who is the god of mortality. Orke is the primarial Atmoran death god, a lone god whose worship stems from the days when the Aldmeri ruled Atmor. He is said to be a fusion of the aspects of Moloch and Arke, which makes sense um, based on the spelling of that. Um, though others suggest that Arke is a fusion of Orke and the god, um, sorry, the Aldmeri god Xarxes, um, however, or whatever the case, Orke is the Nordic god of the dead, and his priests oversee the halls of the dead in Skyrim, and they ensure that the remains of the departed are properly consecrated and cared for. The earliest Atmoran beliefs involved the worship of totemic animals and evolved into the Nordic pantheon. Orke's animal totem is the snake. So, you know, when you're in a Nordic ruin and you see those puzzles that, you know, there's the wolf, there's the hawk, there's the you know, snake, things like that. So those actually represent the Daedra. And Malakath um, is the snake. So, numerous Nordic myths involving the Old Knocker. Um, there are numerous Nordic myths that involve the Old Knocker. Any <laughs> Old Knocker? <laughs> Who came up with that? <laughs> um, it's said that he has attempted to ruin the Nords ever since the days of Atmora, and his battles with Ismer Wolfarth are legendary. The Nords believe that Orke stole their years away, and the ancient Edmorans once. Um, were as long-lived as the elves until Orke, through the heathen trickery, fooled at Mormons into a bargain that bound them to cold winters. So basically, what it's saying here is that at one point in time, humans lived as long as the elves, but because of um, Orke's trickery, we now don't live nearly as long. So, yeah, there you go. So let's talk about the Red Guards. So there's Maluk, the Horde King, and he's an enemy god of the Red Guards. And some scholars believe that Maluk is merely Malakath in disguise, as they appear similarly boorish and share many graceless aspects. These beliefs are have caused tensions within Hammerfell in the Second Era, as some clerics begin to question their alliance with the Orcs as part of the Daggerfall Covenant. Maluk was first encountered by, by the Regatta in the First Era. The warrior wave reportedly encountered an immense horde of goblins who re revered Maluk as their deity. It's said that Maluk retreated to the east when an army of the Hunding routed their horde. Hammerfell celebrates the, fall of, sorry, the festival of the blades on the 26th of First Seed to commemorate this victory. Leading some credence to the connection between Maluk and Malakath, goblins in the, in the fourth era of Skyrim, which um, I guess is part of that Creation Club DLC, 
Um, because otherwise goblins are in Skyrim. They've been observed to worship the blue god, thought possibly to be an aspect of Malakath. Totems of the blue god simply are statues of Malakath painted blue. <laughs> so um, then there's the Khajiit. Uh, the demon Orca is known through the Khajiit, ancient Khajiiti text to predate the Riddlethar epiphany. It's a demon sharing similarities with Malakath. It followed Boethra, which is Boethia, uh, according to the Khajiit, back through the many paths and spoke curses of affliction and knew no other words. So Lorkaj, Kanarthi, and Boethra battled the demons. So these are all... Uh, Lorkaj is Lorkan, Kanarthi is uh, Kinnereth, and Boethra, as I mentioned, is Boethia. So they all battled Orca, but... Orca could only be banished and would not die. Khajiit understand that Orca and others of his ilk service tests along the path and nothing more. So, yeah, I guess <clears throat> that is uh, the different worship, you know, the different aspects of Malakath according to the different races. Let's talk about what um, Malakath has actually done in recorded history. So, during the first era, Maluk, um, I think, Maluk, yeah, was a long thorn in the side of King Harold's descendants in Skyrim. Um, Maluk, I'm sorry, Maluk, M-A-U-L-O-C-H, Maluk, reportedly fled east after being defeated at the Battle of Dragonwall. So I think you know about Dragonwall if you've played Skyrim. It is, you know, it was believed that around, uh, that the... The, fought, the fight was around 600 um, in the first era. And it said that Malak's rage filled the sky with his uh, sulfurous hatred. That uh, sounds awful. This event later came to be known as the Year of the Winter in Summer, and a result of the eruption of Red Mountain in 668. So yeah, the, the fight was around 660. I think I said 600. It's actually 660. I apologize. So in the second era, 582, which is the events of ESO, uh, Malkath was summoned by an orc, Lashkik, who wanted vengeance for her dead husband, Esmeel. Malkath then summoned Esmeel's killer, who was slain by Lashkik and uh, the Vestige. I have not encountered this. So... Um, yeah, I wonder where that is. I'm going to have to look that up because I, yeah, I've never encountered that. So, um, yeah, I'll hopefully be able to report on that later. So in the third era, 405, which uh, is the events of Daggerfall. <laughs> I know I keep uh, getting confused with that, but it mentions the agent of the blades here. So that would be Daggerfall. Malkath was summoned by an agent of the Blades, and the prince told a date of a Daedrus seducer, a little uh, Penicosa, to whom Malkath had given the beauty she always wanted. The seducer had then betrayed him and then fled to a nearby dungeon. Malkath wanted her dead, and the agent obliged, and once the deed was done, discovered the seducer's part in a local murder. This evidence was brought before the local ruler, thus solving the case and boosting the agent's fame. Yeah, there is a pretty big fame and infamy system in Daggerfall. Um, I think I mentioned this on the show before, where I kept accidentally 
I was pushing buttons and I kept accidentally trying to rest within city limits and not in a bed. And that kept getting me arrested and fined. Well, eventually my infamy grew to the point where shopkeepers wouldn't deal with me. So um, yeah, the, the fact that it mentions boosting the agent's fame here, that actually is significant. So Malkath re rewarded the hero with Vol Volandrum. So we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So in uh, fourth era, sorry, third era, 427, these are the events of uh, Morrowind. The Nerevarine also summoned Malakath. So Malakath asked the hero to seek revenge on behalf of an orc adventurer, Karag Grokar, who was denied his rightful fame and glory. After vanquishing the great threat, Karag's uh, Dunmar, Dunmer partner, Orion Bearclaw, Orion Bearclaw, I do recognize that name, um, Orion Bearclaw, um, took all the credit. So basically, um, Karag um, did this great deed, and Orain Bearclaw took all the credit for it. So um, both Karag and Orain were both long dead. Uh, Malkath's ire was so great that he requested the Nerevarine slay the Dunmer's last remaining uh, descendant, Favrin Orin. When confronted, Favrin admitted the whole story was a lie and attacked. The Nerevarine then prevailed and received the helm of Orin Bearclaw as a reward. The Nerevarine later sold the helm in, to the Museum of Artifacts in Mournhold. That sounds familiar. I may have done this quest. I don't remember. Um, but the names definitely sound familiar. So, um, let's see. Let's talk about um, Oblivion here. In Third Era 433, Malkath commanded the Champion of Cyrodiil to uh, free a group of ogres from the enslavement of these mines of a noble in the Gold Coast of Cyrodiil. Once the champion was given... I'm uh, sorry... Once the prince's little brothers were released from their bonds, the champion was given Volendrung as a reward. So apparently Malkath is also associated, associated with ogres. Um, it didn't, I read, it didn't really uh, come up in my notes here, but it should be noted here that it doesn't mention this in the article, but in Oblivion, you have to meet certain requirements to be able to communicate with these daedra so there is a shrine that you have to go to to communicate with these daedra and you talk to one of the priests there because the um, shrine is always surrounded by worshipers of this particular daedra and you have to meet certain requirements whether it's reaching a certain level or uh, whatever it is and then you have to give them a sacrifice, whether it's, you know, some alchemy ingredients or gold, you know, um, ectoplasm or something like that. Well, with Malakath, you have to be, you can't be above a certain level of fame or something like that. So you have to drop your... Basically, you have to make yourself really ugly to the point where people would shun you. So, yeah, that's not really mentioned in this article here, but I think it is worth mentioning here. Yeah, you 
since Malakath is the uh, kind of the god of the shunned, for the lack of a better word, um, that's what you have to do to be able to summon him in Oblivion. So, um, all right, let's talk about Skyrim here. So, um, it shows a picture of a slain orc at the base of the Forgotten Shrine. The Forgotten Shrine is Malakath's Shrine. Around Fourth Era forty-eight, this isn't at, this is before Skyrim, obviously, because uh, Skyrim takes place around Fourth Era two of uh, yeah two of one. So. Fourth Era 48, a gravely wounded Prince Atribius Mead and his companions Tool found themselves in the Aspit, or sorry, Ash Pit, not Aspit. Um, <laughs> excuse my uh, Freudian slip there. The Ash Pit, while on a quest to stop the floating city of Umbriel, Atribius's wounds were tended to by an Altmer woman with pale skin and rosy, ha- rosy gold hair and green eyes named uh, Silhanza, who soon revealed herself to be Malakath in disguise. Malakath agreed to help the pair after hearing their story, as Sul's motivation was revenge, which delighted the prince. So, yeah, that's part of one of the two novels. Um, I couldn't tell you which one. Probably the Floating City or the Forgotten City. or I can't remember what it's called. Um, so, all right. Here it talks about uh, Skyrim. So, around 4th Era 201, the last Dragonborn arrived on the Orc stronghold of Largasper in Skyrim. While it was under attack by giants, according to Atub, a wise woman, a tribe, the tribe was cursed by Malakath. The Dragonborn helped summon the prince, who proceeded to berate Chief Yamaras for being so weak that the giants would openly attra- attack Lagarshpur. Malakath demanded Yamaras kill the leader of the giants and return with his warhammer as an offering. Yamaras was perturbed by this development and demanded that the Dragonborn assist him to getting to the dra- giant's lair. Once there, Yamaras asked the Dragonborn to kill the giant and let him take the credit. It is not clear what happened next, but the dragonborn killed the giant and Yamaras was slain, either by the Warhammer and Malakath, or sorry, either by the giant or by the hands of the dragonborn. Regardless, the dragonborn returned to the stronghold with the Warhammer and Malakath appeared once more. The prince named a new chief and transformed the Warhammer into Volendrung, which he gave to the last dragonborn as a reward. Around the same time, goblins from Cyrodiil began attacking Riften, not far from Lagarshpur. Troublingly, it was rumored that they were being led by the Blue God himself. The last dragonborn investigated the matter and found that the Blue God was merely an orc covered in blue mushroom paste, whom the goblins mistook for their deity. And that just shows you how intelligent goblins are. So, I think I've completed this quest quest maybe once and i basically was like fuck you you're not getting credit for what i did you're weak you're weak and spineless and you don't deserve the glory so yeah i'm not gonna let you take credit for this um i know i've completed all of the daedra quests in skyrim at one point or another i mean the game's been out for 10 years now at this point almost 10 years less than a month until 10 years but um, I do know 
um, I mean, it's been a while. I've only, like I said, I've probably only done this quest once, but I don't think I would have let him take credit for what I, what I did. All right, so let's talk about the Daedric artifacts that are associated with Malkath. So first here, we've got a brutal band. So the brutal bands are heavy iron rings. And when a brutal band is worn, the hands instinctively curl into fists and the sound of distant drums and clashing seal fills the ears of the wearer, imbuing them with the, all the bitterness of orc kind and the strength of Malkad. The Orsinium Codex states that the brutal bands are from Malkad himself and that they were formed in the ash pit. Ritual dust from the ash pit was given to the most devout followers of Malkath and a brutal breed by Malkath himself. These followers would place their brutal bands in the dust while they slept, believing that it would charge the band with energy from the ash pit. Ritual oil was also carried in urns that bore, that bore the symbol of the brutal breed. With this oil being carried and used on the brutal bands by every cultist as a form of prayer and as a request for perseverance in the face of endless adversity. The brutal bands of the supplicants have portions of Malakath's true name on them. The upper hoops on the, the bands represent the blessing of Scourge. So, I don't know what games these are in. Um, I don't know if these are actually in any of the games, or if this is just something that you read about. But I can't think of a game that these brutal bands are in. So, um, yeah, it's probably, I would imagine it's just something that you read about in a book. So if you do know of a game that these are in, um, let me know because I can't think of any. So next is the Helm of Orain Bearclaw, which we talked about from, um, yeah. So let's, let's uh, talk about this here. So the Helm of Orain Bearclaw also known as the Helm of Karag Gokar, is a prized artifact with a history of confliction and, uh, sorry, a history of conflicted attribution. The helm itself is an enchanted skull, which is said to improve the wearer's agility and endurance. There actually is a picture here in the article from the Oblivion game. So those who claim that it is a Bosmeri artifact known by its former name, and attribute it to the legendary Dunmer hunter of Valenwood, Orain Bearclaw. Legends claim that Bearclaw single-handedly killed uh, Glyn Favra, I think is how you pronounce that. It's a very unique looking word here. Um, the witch serpent of Elvenwood and thus brought peace to his clan. He would bring the helm and his name further reverence by performing many great deeds until he lost it Sorry, until he lost his life to the Natan flu, which we talked about in the Deadly Diseases of Tamriel episode. After Bearclaw's demise, his helm stood as a monument of his stature, although it eventually lo was lost after his clan split. Those that call the helm by its latter name believe that Orain was falsely credited and that his feats were actually performed by his orc friend, Karag Gokrar, hero of the Shatul clan. Thus, they consider it an orcish artifact and that the relic was claimed by Malakath himself. 
Those that believe the former story, however, state that Karag stole both Orin's helm and reputation, and thus both camps have tried to claim it. So, yeah. Um, all right, here's an artifact that I mentioned in the last episode, um, the Hircine episode. It's the Savior's Hide. So, the Savior's Hide is also known as the Scourge of the Oathbreaker and Hircine's Hide. It's a Daedric artifact commonly associated with Hircine. Here, the Savior's Hide once referred to a full set of armor known as the Armor of the Savior's Hide. So boots, gauntlets, greaves, helmet, pauldrons. Over time, the Savior's Hide became predominantly used to refer to the Curus of the Savior's Hide as, uh, as uh, the rest of the armor set has not been seen since 3rd Era 399 which is in between the events of Oblivion and... Uh, sorry, no, that would be around the events of Oblivion. Um, because the events of Oblivion take place at the very end of the... Sorry, no, Third Era 399. That would be... Bef- what, arena? I think that would be... A, it was, Yeah, I think that'd be Arena. Because Daggerfall's uh, Third Era 405, so that has to be Arena. Anyway, um, sorry, just thinking to myself there. The Curious makes the wearer resistant to magic, and there are three creation stories to the hide, with two crediting Hircine and the third crediting Malakath. The more widely known tale involving Hircine holds that the Daedric Prince rewarded the first mortal to escape his hunting grounds with with this peeled hide. The mortal then had the hide tailored into Curious, for the use of their for use in their adventures, the version of this story that also claims to it that Curus gave the wearer of resistance to magic. Although another version claims that the that it was Hirsine himself who sewed the savior's hide from the hide of a werewolf, which you kind of see in Skyrim. There's a third tale that credits Malkath, and it's lesser known and contains an inaccuracy, stating that it made the wearer vulnerable to magic. Despite the conflicting the conflict between the stories, they agree that points of the hide would protect them from blows of an oathbreaker, and would protect the wearer from the sting of the spear of bitter mercy. And yes, uh, three third era three ninety nine is the events of Arena. So you look at the uh, timeline here, and it says Jagar Tharn is defeated and Orsinium is refounded. So. Yeah, that's the events of uh, Arena, the very first game. So, all right, the next artifact attributed to Malakath is called Scourge. It is a uh, hammer. Uh, it's also known as McCann's Hammer, bone, uh, sorry, Bane of the Daedric Scourge or Scourge, and it's blessed by Malakath. Um, sorry, Blessed of Malakath. It is a legendary Daedric artifact and it was forged from the sacred ebony in the fires of Fickle Dire. It's an interesting name, and is associated with Malakath. It is a fierce weapon and takes the form of a steel or ebony mace. Malakath dedicated it to mortals, and any Daedra who attempts to invoke its power will be banished into the void. It is also it also has the ability to banish them to the void with a single blow. It can conjure Daedra such as uh, Dramora or Scamps from Oblivion, and to do the wielder's bidding it it has been described as a bold defender of the friendless which would be related to Malkath's role of the daedric prince of outcasts so there's a picture here and it's from marwin uh, it looks like a pretty sick weapon um i'd be interested in finding that so 
Next is Vengeful Eye. It is an amulet associated with the Prince of Malakath. It is a relic sacred to both orcs and reach folk of the Winterborn clan. Those who have it in their possession are said to carry Malakath's favor. It was first given to given by Malakath to his mortal followers, and this artifact would be passed down by combat. The one who's slain the bearer claiming the artifact it is capable of influencing those who have it in their possession. Two orc brothers once attempted to destroy the relic, only for it to whisper to one of them, influencing the other to betray the other, for influencing one brother to betray the other. Soon after, that kind of sounds like something that happened in um, Skyrim, but that was a different David Prince. Soon after, the relic fell into the possession of Mercadine, one of the Winterborn of the Beast of the Reach. It would eventually be buried within a tomb of Honor's Rest. In Second Era 582, uh, the events of ESO, the Winterborn attempted to retrieve the relic from the tomb so they made so that they could march upon Orsinium and the Orcish strongholds in what would be referred to as the Vengeful March. It would be re- retrieved by the Vestige before that could happen. It is unclear if the relic was given to the priests of Malakath and Orsinium or destroyed. So this must be a side quest in Orsinium. I typically don't do the side quest because you're capped at 25 quests. Um, I wish that that wasn't a thing, but that's why I typically avoid the side quests in ESO. Um, so yeah, I might, I might have to do that because that's interesting. So it's unclear if the relic was given to the priests of Malakath or destroyed and destroyed, or if the vestige took it to the shrine of Malakath and received Malakath's favor and blessing to keep the amulet. Um, that's probably what I would do. So next is one that we talked about a lot, and that is Volendrung. So Volendrung is known as the Hammer of Might. It is an ancient artifact created by Dwarven, the Dwarven Warkin clan. It is known to manifest either as a warhammer of dwarven metal or ebony. For unknown reasons, Volendrung became the Daedric artifact of Malakath. To earn its name, or in it earns its name with the with the capability to demolish even the walls of enemy keeps with ease. It is enchanted with the ability to paralyze foes to an extent that is comparable to that of Medusa's gaze. It is known for draining those it strikes of their strength uh, conferring it to its wielder. The hammer is prone to disappearing like its foreign creators, sometimes resurfacing in days, sometimes in eons. The hammer originally belonged to the chieftain of the Rorkin clan. When his clan refused to join the other Dwemer in the first council, the chieftain threw his hammer across Tamriel, promising to settle it wherever it landed. The hammer landed in western Tamriel, and the Rorkin called this land Volenfell literally the city of the hammer <clears throat> this later became to or came to be known as hammerfell i think i talked about that in the um the uh, red guard episode i apologize the work and journey came across tamriel it uh, it's the sorry the work journey across tamriel is depicted in many of the ruins of the region volendrung appeared to appeared as a shining star shown at showing the way so um yeah that's that's how hammerfell came to be i think I, like i said i mentioned that in the red guard episode 
So, let's talk about the Ash Pit. So, the Ash Pit is the realm of oblivion created and ruled over by Malakath, the Prince of Outcasts. It is no, unknown if the realm existed before Trinimac was transformed into Malakath. Orcish spell rites call for boons from the Ash Pit and rarely any other realms. The Ash Pit is hard to access as the pathways to his domain take on a characteristic level of concealment to protect it from the disenfranchised and cast out. Sorry, they cast the disenfranchised out. The realm mostly consists of dust, palaces of smoke, vaporous creatures, anguish and betrayal, and broken promises like ash fill the bitter air. Few mortals manage to reach the realm, where levitation and magical breathing are necessary to survive. The Mages Guild have been known to bottle this thick, rolling vapor. However, some areas of the realm are safe for mortals. In 4th Era 48, Malkath chose to bring Sul and Prince Atribius Mead to the Ash Pit, where they found a garden of slender trees and vines festooned with the Iliad... Oh, sorry lily-like flowers wound around the trunks. The multitude of spheres moved deep in, in the colorless sky distant as, and pales as moons. The garden seems to have emotional significance for Malakath, who described it as a shadow of a garden, an echo of something that once was. The Ashen Forge sits at the center of Malakath's own stronghold in the Ash Pit. For the orcs that revere Malakath, the afterlife promises rewards of immortality, abundant food and drink, and constant battle deep within the Ashen Forge. It is also said that the Ash Pit Bastion stretches endlessly across the deep within the Ashen Forge. It is also said that the Ash, that the Ash Pit Bastion stretches endlessly across the plains, extending even beyond the stars to Ethereus, granting a access to every worthy orc who, has crossed, who crosses from this life into the next. In Malkath's stronghold, every orc is a chief, and every chief has a thousand wives, and every wife has a thousand slaves to cater to their every need. Imagine being a slave in the afterlife. That must suck. The stronghold's walls rise 100 feet into the smoky sky, constructed in polished steel and worked iron. Inside the walls, stone keeps, iron towers, and massive longhouses strong, sorry, surround the central square and houses the Ashen Forge. Orcs that pass into the afterlife are, the thrust, are thrust into Malkath's coals, honed and tempered and made whole in the cleansing fires of Malkath. Their grudges and fury are folded and hardened into the anvil of ash, and there is said to be no place for a gentle soul in the Ashen Forge, who are instead believed to be given to Trinimac, who watches over all of those who have fallen and, and guides them into their final reward. So basically, you're kind of forged through fire into the perfect being. Sounds rough. I don't know if I'd want to be... If I don't, if I want to go there, it doesn't sound like heaven to me. But I guess if you're an orc and you know, all you care about is being strong, and yeah, I mean, to each their own, I guess. The spine of the ash pit is surprisingly is a surprisingly light skeletal spine found in the realm. It is made from gray dust, and fragments of bone have been known to be to be taken from it and brought to Tamriel. Geograth claims that the spine is a metaphor metaphorical backbone of the realm, which he looks down upon. 
And that is it as far as uh, Malakath. That went a lot longer than I expected it to. Just this lore segment is almost an hour long. Um, but yeah, um, next up will be Mehrun's Dagon. And I know there's a lot about him too, especially with the recent Deadlands, uh, with the recent Gates of Oblivion expansion to ESO, not to mention the game Oblivion. Um, he was also in Battlespire. So yeah, there's going to be a lot with Mainland's Dagon. So yeah, um, thank you everybody for joining me. Uh, thank you to The Hive for sponsoring this podcast. And they, um, I recently got in a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So this is one way you can help support the show um, get the word out. So this is from PSP Killer 888, who I believe is Deadpool Head on Discord. Um, let me see here. Yeah, it's a Deadpool Head 888. So I guess uh, goes by a different name on Apple Podcasts. So Merchant, would you like to read this? If you have nothing better for this one to do, uh, sure, whatever. So PSP Killer 888 says calls this Skyrim Professor. I love all the banter between him and his traveling companion in some of the later episodes and how he never hesitates to joke on himself and how hard some of these words are pronounced. I guess you could call it humble and I adore him for that. (laughs) I also really enjoy the episode about the Dwemer. I spent two days taking notes down to share with my friend. Why couldn't we have classes like this back in school? This man could totally be a college professor. I would take his class. Thank you very much for that review. Um, I'm not sure if... uh, I mean, I would love to take a class like that in college myself. But, um, yeah. I've been chatting with... uh, It goes by Deadpool Head on Discord. So, I've been chatting quite frequently back and forth with him. And I I think it's... uh, I'm with them, I should say. Um... Yeah, uh, great, great person. Um, love chatting with them. And um, yeah, if you would like to support me, um, definitely, definitely leave a five star review or any review really on Apple Podcasts. Uh, really helps get the word out there, and it is the best way to support me without spending money. Um, that is the first review I've had in what seems like an eternity. Um, other ways you can support me, like I said, I'm, um, just, that's mainly the thing. I also wanted to talk about the fact that I'm really wanting to get a Patreon going for this show. Um, I did a, an update episode, um, a few weeks ago about that. And I took a poll on Twitter to see what kind of rewards you guys would like, and I'm working on getting it going. Um, like I said, I've got, I need to get the merch going. That's something that I'm trying to get going. I've got some ideas for the merch, but it's just a matter of getting it going. That was one of the rewards uh, that you guys voted for. The votes were actually tied between that and uh, having a cameo in one of my skits. So I think the idea that I kind of have for the Patreon would be, there'd be maybe three tiers for it maybe four it just kind of depends and with each tier having a higher discount for the merch 
but also you know some of the higher tiers maybe being in a skit that i do and also being a part of the war segment like maybe the um subscriber would bring their own topic that we could talk about so yeah if you have any other ideas for that let me know like i said this patreon is for you guys just as much for you guys as it would be for me but if that's something you would like to see let me know like i said send me your ideas on twitter and instagram and you can find me on twitter and instagram uh personally my personal page is ian gold 08 the show's page is um tamriel p and you can also find me on twitch i haven't streamed a lot recently um i did stream some eso not too long ago um it's uh, twitch.tv slash sulior and i do have a tiktok i rarely use it mainly i just use it to um make videos that i post on instagram and twitter but although my wife sends me lots of tiktok videos that she thinks are funny sometimes they are most of the time they are she she knows my sense of humor um if you want to send me twi- uh, tiktok videos you're more than welcome to like i said it's uh Sulior on tiktok um and yeah just um thanks for bearing with me um this episode seemed to take forever for me to even be able to do it with my voice hopefully my voice is okay i think it is getting a little hoarse though so i am going to get out of here and the next episode is on mayrun's dagon um you can also check out my other shows i've got nintenfo which we're going through the legend of zelda series the next episode is going to be on skyward sword and like i said we just put out an episode of tapes from the wastes and that was about our one year anniversary excuse me um yeah we just uh past a milestone of being out for a year so it was kind of a retrospective on uh, the history like how the series came to be and uh, what we want to do with it in the future and then we also did a Q&A so yeah there were a lot of questions that the community asked us and we answered those so yeah uh, check out Nintendo and Tapes from the Waste and like I said thanks to The Hive for sponsoring the show and uh thanks to you guys for keeping the show going so anyway i'm gonna get out of here and as always stay safe adventurers